You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now a word from our sponsor, Netscope. Netscope is a worldwide leader in SASE and Zero Trust. Its unified platform, Netscope One, provides optimized access and zero trust security for people, devices, and data anywhere they go, helping customers reduce risk, accelerate performance, and get unrivaled visibility into any cloud, web, and private application activity. To learn more about how Netscope helps customers be ready for anything on their sassy journey, visit netskope.com. A former CIA leaker is sentenced to 40 years. Interpol arrests suspected cyber criminals and takes down servers. Cloudflare discloses a Thanksgiving Day data breach. The FBI removes malware from outdated routers. President Biden plans to veto a Republican-led bill overturning cyber disclosure rules. Attackers target poorly managed Linux systems. Infected USB devices take advantage of popular websites for malware distribution. Blackbaud faces a data deletion mandate from the FTC. Our guest is Adam Marais, Chief Information Security Officer at Arctic Wolf, to kick off our continuing discussion of 2024 election security. And a cybersecurity incident in Georgia leads to a murder suspect on the run. It's Friday, February 2nd, 2024, Groundhog Day here in the United States. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is your CyberWire Intel Briefing. Joshua Schulte, a former CIA programmer, was sentenced to 40 years in prison for a series of crimes, including espionage. In 2022, he was found guilty of leaking the CIA's most critical hacking tools to WikiLeaks, an act the agency described as a digital Pearl Harbor. The breach was the largest in CIA history. U.S. Attorney Damian Williams condemned Schulte's actions as a severe betrayal to the United States, motivated by revenge against the CIA for its response to his security breaches while employed. The espionage, computer hacking, contempt of court, making false statements to the FBI, and child pornography charges led to his 40-year sentence by U.S. District Judge Jesse Furman. Schulte worked in the CIA's hacking unit from 2012 to 2016, during which he stole cyber tools designed for breaking into technology systems. He leaked these tools to WikiLeaks in 2017, which then published the classified data. This leak purportedly resulted in significant damage to the CIA's intelligence collection capabilities, endangering personnel, and costing the agency hundreds of millions of dollars. The data exposed included malware, viruses, trojans, and zero-day exploits, which became accessible to foreign intelligence, hackers, and cyber extortionists globally. Initially charged with possessing child pornography in 2017, Schulte faced additional espionage charges later. After a hung jury in 2020 on major charges, a 2022 jury convicted him under the Espionage Act and for obstruction. 
A global operation from Interpol called Synergia resulted in the arrest of 31 suspected cyber criminals and the identification of 1,300 malicious servers used for phishing attacks and malware distribution. This coordinated effort, running from September to November of last year, involved nearly 60 law enforcement agencies and several private companies. They successfully dismantled 70% of the command and control servers they'd identified, primarily located in Europe, Hong Kong, and Singapore, with ongoing investigations for others. Additionally, 70 more suspects were identified for their roles in phishing, banking malware, and ransomware distribution. Although specific cybercrime groups uncovered during the operation were not disclosed, Interpol highlighted the collaborative nature of the effort. Cloud services provider Cloudflare has disclosed that on Thanksgiving Day last year, they experienced a security breach in their internal Atlassian server. Despite unauthorized access, no customer data or systems were compromised, and the intrusion was contained within 24 hours. An investigation named Project Code Red and conducted with CrowdStrike concluded that attackers used credentials stolen during an Okta breach in October of 2023. The attackers sought information about Cloudflare's network architecture and security, accessing internal tools like Confluence and Jira. Cloudflare's investigation revealed that the attackers, potentially a nation-state actor, accessed their Confluence wiki, Jira bug database, and Bitbucket source code management system on the 14th of November in 2023. They also attempted to infiltrate a Sao Paulo data center, which was thwarted. Cloudflare responded by rotating 5,000 unique production credentials, segregating test and staging systems, conducting forensic analysis, and re-imaging network systems. Remediation efforts were completed by the 5th of January of this year, with ongoing focus on software security and credential management. The FBI removed malware from hundreds of outdated Netgear and Cisco routers in the U.S., after receiving a court order to do so. These routers, no longer updatable and therefore vulnerable, were part of a botnet controlled by Volt Typhoon, a group with ties to the Chinese government. This action aimed to block Volt Typhoon's access to sensitive infrastructure. The FBI says they will inform affected router owners or their providers. Router owners can undo the FBI's changes by restarting their routers, but this may leave them susceptible to future attacks. The FBI recommends replacing these end-of-life routers. The White House announced President Biden's intention to veto a Republican-led effort to overturn the SEC's new cyber incident disclosure rules. These rules mandate public companies to report material breaches within four business days of recognizing their significant impact. The aim is to provide investors with timely, relevant information on cybersecurity incidents. Critics, including some Republican lawmakers, argue that early disclosure of incomplete information could harm investors and aid attackers. They also believe these rules conflict with existing reporting requirements. Despite these concerns, the Biden administration supports the rules citing the need for transparency to encourage corporate investment in cybersecurity and risk management. The White House argues that reversing the SEC's decision would disadvantage investors and lead to underinvestment in cybersecurity, affecting economic and national security. 
The SEC clarified that the required disclosures are limited and won't include detailed technical information mitigating risks to cybersecurity. Additionally, disclosures can be delayed if they pose a substantial risk to national security or public safety. The OnLab Security Intelligence Center, ASEC, is using an SSH honeypot to monitor attacks on Linux systems. Attackers targeting poorly managed Linux systems install malware via brute force and dictionary attacks. These attacks often involve creating backdoor accounts or altering existing high-privilege accounts like the root account. Attackers can then control the infected systems and install various malware, including ransomware and coin miners. ASEX analysis reveals that the attackers use specific commands to add new accounts or change root account passwords. They also register self-generated SSH keys, allowing passwordless access to the compromised systems. Attack logs suggest automated scripts are employed following successful system breaches. To protect against such attacks, ASEC recommends using strong, regularly changed passwords, employing SSH key-based authentication, restricting root account SSH access, limiting SSH access to certain IP addresses, and using firewalls. UNC 4990, a financially motivated threat actor active since 2020, employs traditional methods like USB devices for malicious attacks. Recently, they've adapted tactics using popular websites like GitHub, GitLab, Ars Technica, and Vimeo to distribute malware. They utilize the Empty Space Downloader and Quiet Board Backdoor with Empty Space executing payloads from command and control servers and delivering Quiet Board. The attack begins with social engineering to distribute USB drives containing a malicious shortcut. When connected to a victim's device, the shortcut triggers a PowerShell script, which fetches the empty space downloader. In 2023, UNC 4990 started using Vimeo, embedding payloads in video descriptions. They also employed an image on Ars Technica with an embedded payload. UNC 4990 has utilized various versions of the empty space loader with the Python-based quiet board capable of executing arbitrary code, stealing cryptocurrency, infecting USB drives, screenshotting, gathering information, and communicating with C2 servers. Blackbaud, a data and software services company, has been mandated by the FTC to erase unnecessary personal data, following a 2020 breach where lax security practices led to the exposure of sensitive customer data. The breach, affecting millions, involved unencrypted personal financial and medical information. Blackbaud, serving 45,000 entities, failed to encrypt critical data, including social security and bank account numbers. Despite earning $1.1 billion in 2022, BlackBaud provided limited post-breach support and delayed notifying customers, initially downplaying the breach's severity. The FTC's proposed order requires BlackBaud to delete superfluous data, abstain from misleading statements about data security, establish a comprehensive security program, and implement a detailed data retention and deletion policy. Coming up after the break, our guest, Adam Murray from Arctic Wolf, kicks off our continuing discussion of 2024 election security. 
Stay with us. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. You are no doubt aware that it is a big election year here in the U.S., Coming up next, my conversation with Arctic Wolf CISO Adam Marais. He joins us to share key cybersecurity threats in the 2024 election season. Here's our conversation. We wanted to gauge uh, state and local government leaders' preparedness, uh, basically to gauge their attitudes and beliefs about their cybersecurity preparedness for the upcoming election. That's what we thought was unique about this. Obviously, many people are thinking about election security and making sure that the critical infrastructure we have for our elections and the integrity of the elections themselves is secure. And we wanted to know how were people feeling about that? The people who will actually be running these elections, what are their attitudes and beliefs uh, as they prepare for the election? Yeah, it's certainly a hot topic here. And I think it's uh, fair to say there's a good amount of uh, anxiety about it as well. What did you find? I mean, starting out at a high level here, where do we stand? Well, one of the most interesting findings that we can talk about right from the top is that about half of our respondents across you know, state and local governments across the United States, about half of them felt they were either not at all prepared or only somewhat prepared to detect and respond to cybersecurity election interference. So that shows that there is a you know, significant room for improvement 
to get uh, you know better measures in place and better confidence in our state and local leaders as we prepare for the election. What's driving that feeling of of insecurity here? I mean, is it, is it uh, the usual lack of funding when it comes to local governments? What do you think's at play? Well, I think that is definitely part of it. In my experience working with these great uh, local and state government leaders is that they're typically underfunded, overburdened, overwhelmed. Oftentimes you have the same people who are doing information technology are also doing security. And that's just for the day-to-day running of their organizations, let alone putting a national election on top of that. So I'm sure that that is part of it. Uh, But another part is this new threat environment that we're looking at. So one of our other findings that was interesting is when we asked our respondents to tell us what are the types of election interference uh, cyber activities that they're most concerned about, number one was disinformation. And number two was phishing. Now, what's interesting about both of those is those are two types of uh, activities that are supercharged by generative AI and the AI tools that are ubiquitous out there and available to just about anybody who has an internet connection. And so I think that these folks are putting uh, those puzzle pieces together and really understanding that those types of attacks are going to be much more convincing, much more successful, a lot easier to create. And so in the face of that, they're anticipating that these attacks are going to come to them. That's a really fascinating finding. And and it strikes me that both of those things are things that take place outside of, you know, that proverbial uh, castle wall that these folks who are in charge of election security would really have control over. You know, misinformation and and phishing, um, that's not the kind of thing that it's easy for them to have direct influence on. Is that an accurate perception on my part? Yeah, I think so. And that's probably where some of the anxiety is coming from. Uh, However, though, I do think there are a number of things uh, that state and local leaders who uh, are in charge of elections can do about both of those. Of course, with phishing attacks, the goal is to, you know, get a toehold in the organization by using that attack. And we know from breach reports year after year that a large percentage, you know, 70 to 80% of successful breaches, there's there's phishing or some type of social engineering involved. And so that really is uh, a method that attackers are going to use to try to get into these systems, get that first toehold. And knowing now with, with generative AI and AI tools that you know, gone are the days where we can detect phishing with misspellings or bad logos or awkward grammar, these can look mm. perfect. These phishing uh, attacks can look perfect now. And so the, the that, yes, these attacks are, are difficult to defend, but there's a lot that can be done as far as training, making sure everybody's aware that this is the new environment, and setting up procedures and protocols that make it difficult for you know people to take action based on those emails, be it clicking on a link or transferring some money or something like that, making sure that protocols are in place so that they can resist even those kinds of sophisticated phishing attacks. Hmm. Was there anything in the survey results that was unexpected or or things that may have surprised you? I think the other surprising finding that we had is when we asked our respondents, uh, you know, which region they were most concerned about as a source of election interference. uh, In the top four, we got what we expected, China, Russia, and Iran. We expect you know, uh, these leaders to understand that those are where some of these activities may come from. But coming in at number two, 
was the United States. And that was a little bit surprising. They're, they're anticipating attacks coming from, you know, within the house, as it will. Um, but this can also be seen as a positive because, as you know, Dave, attacks can come from anywhere. They can also appear to come from anywhere if, you know, someone is spoofing an attack. So we shouldn't have a blind spot toward the United States. So I think this is a positive in that uh, the folks who are in charge of uh, protecting our elections are now very aware that attacks can come from within as well as without. And so that's actually a good finding to see. Hmm. So what are your recommendations then, based on the information you and your colleagues have gathered here? What sort of things should folks put in place? Well, one additional finding I'll talk about is that about half of our respondents said they had not received election-specific cybersecurity training. And I think it's really important that that's one of the things that we do. We make sure that our folks... Uh, you know, in state and local governments, those who are going to be involved in the election are receiving that election-specific cybersecurity awareness training. And it can cover things like the new threat environment when it, uh, regarding generative AI and those kinds of tools. And it can cover things like disinformation and how we're going to ensure that voters know where they can go to get real information, solid information that they can depend on and not just uh, be, you know, blown about on the wind from anything that comes in through their social media feed. So conducting uh, awareness campaigns, both for the election workers and some awareness campaigns to voters so they know where to get good information. That's a really good place to start. And then in addition to that, what I would recommend, and there are many state and local governments that are doing this, uh, they should run tabletop exercises. That is one of the most effective, and it does not have to be expensive, uh, type of trainings that we can run where people can really understand how prepared are we are the measures that we have in place sufficient? And we can identify blind spots, gaps, and, and other things like that that we can say, hey, we should have a way to double verify instructions that are coming down from uh, you know, a high-level leader. Let's say there was a deep fake of their voice and you get a phone call from a high-level leader. Well, if you put measures in place like passphrases, pass you know, code words, or even double verify through a messaging service or email, that makes you resistant to those types of social engineering attacks. And those are things you can identify when conducting tabletop exercises. You know, I, I'm curious for the folks who came in on the other side of the survey who were confident in their abilities, what were some of the common threads there? So that's a really good question. I think it does show that the good news here, the good news from the survey is that many of the, you know, half of people did receive election-specific cybersecurity training. Uh, half of folks do feel like they are prepared for uh, the election and for the attacks that are going to come their way. So that does show that many state and local governments, municipalities are preparing for this. They understand the threat environment and they're getting ready. Um, I think uh, there are many states that are doing uh, tabletop exercises and thinking specifically about how they can resist social engineering. So the good news is that lots of uh, these organizations are doing the right things, but we just need to make sure that everyone is and bring everyone up to the same level. That's Arctic Wolf's Chief Information Security Officer, Adam Marais. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2, 
or ISO 27001, and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And finally, ABC News reports that a 30-year-old murder suspect named Zion River Shaka was mistakenly released by Clayton County authorities in Georgia last week following a cybersecurity incident. Shaka, who has been in Fulton County Jail since 2020, was transferred to Clayton County for a hearing with instructions to return to Fulton County Jail afterward. However, after the hearing... He was erroneously released. Earlier this week, we reported that Fulton County, which includes most of Atlanta, experienced a widespread system outage due to a cybersecurity incident affecting phone, court, and tax systems. Authorities are now actively searching for him. Looks like the suspect found a real-life backdoor vulnerability in the jail's security protocol. And that's The Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. Be sure to check out this weekend's Research Saturday and my conversation with Johannes Ulrich from the SANS Technology Institute. We're talking about the Internet Storm Center and how they do research. That's Research Saturday. Check it out. We'd love to know what you think of this podcast. You can email us at cyberwire at n2k.com. We're privileged that N2K and podcasts like The Cyberwire are part of the daily intelligence routine of many of the most influential leaders and operators in the public and private sector, as well as the critical security teams supporting the Fortune 500 and many of the world's preeminent intelligence and law enforcement agencies. N2K Strategic Workforce Intelligence optimizes the value of your biggest investment, your people. We make you smarter about your team while making your team smarter. Learn more at n2k.com. This episode was produced by Liz Stokes. Our mixer is Trey Hester with original music by Elliot Peltzman. Our executive producers are Jennifer Iben and Brandon Karp. Our executive editor is Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here next week. Music.